Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Chimakar Sandu from Toronto in Canada, still recovering after a crazy, crazy weekend of mixed martial arts. So much to unpack in this week's show, and we will do our level best to cram it into one hour of listening, hopefully pleasure for you guys out there. But uh, Sandu, have you recovered? Because that, that was a busy weekend. I am still, to be honest with you, not quite there yet. Yeah, there was loads, not just the weekend, but even just the, the days leading into the weekend. We had PFL, Bellator, obviously the UFC. I was also on WWE duty. I had a bunch of shows to cover. So, oh, and also, by the way, the Euros kicked off and had to wake up early to watch the, the England game. And I'm trying to keep up with all the other games. So not just in mixed martial arts, but in the sporting world, there is so much going on right now. And it's and it's good if you're a sports fan. If It's, it's good if you're at home and just kind of, watching the telly because there's tons tons to watch but yes i'm there i'm a little bit ropey i've kind of recovered kind of haven't so much to talk about enough of the pleasantries i think we need to get on with it mate yeah we absolutely do uh england winning scotland getting beat but that's just standard football fair let's get on with his ufc 263 was absolutely massive i mean you look at fight cards and you sort of look down the list of fights think yeah this is a good one you know this was an absolute banger from the prelims all the way up through the main card. We had a little bit of something for everybody, but that main card was one of the best main cards I think we've seen in quite a while. It was it was stacked and the fights delivered all in slightly different ways. Let's take it from the top and work our way down. Main event, middleweight title on the line. Israel Adesanya undefeated as a middleweight. Looking to bounce back after losing the, uh, his light heavyweight title tilt against Jan Blachowicz, taking on Marvin Vittori. He was looking for a bit of redemption and a bit of revenge in a rematch, and uh, he didn't get anywhere close to it. Adesanya just absolutely just put on a clinic. 50-45s uh, across the board. Marvin Vittori looks surprised at the scores. Um, I don't know whether he suffers with delusion or what, but that was as, as one-sided as, as, as you could possibly imagine. I mean, even Rafael Cordero... Uh, Marvin Vittori's coach, one of the one of the most seasoned, respected striking coaches on the planet, was absolutely giving him a dressing down between rounds, telling him, you know, he's got to, he's got to up the aggression, he's got to go for it. I just didn't see it. If he'd have put the same amount of aggression into his fight that he'd put into his press conference performance, we might not have seen fifty forty fives across the board. But Adesanya just completely disarmed him. Um, brilliant performance from him, and still. What do you make of his performance, Sandu? I thought it was it wasn't his best, but it was certainly more than good enough to beat Marvin Vittori. It was dominant, Simon. A clean sweep on the judges' scorecards. Did not lose a round. All five rounds were his. The one thing I'll say about Vittori, and it's probably maybe perhaps the only positive thing I can t say about him regarding this performance, he didn't get finished. He's never been finished. He's never been finished in his career. Even though he's lost, he's lost always on the scorecard. So if anyone was expecting Adesanya to come in and just absolutely muller this guy and knock him out and finish him, yes, that would have been nice. That would have been the icing on the cake. But Marvin Vittori is tough and durable. Unfortunately, he is just not on Adesanya's level whatsoever, Simon. And I wasn't that eager for this fight. In the build-up, we spoke about this last week. It didn't really get my juices going. I think the most important thing about this fight and this performance for Adesanya was to win. You come off this loss against Jan Blahovic. You remind everybody how good you are. And oh, by the way, the fact that you had Nate Diaz on this card meant 
that there were going to be a lot of eyeballs on this pay-per-view. So now everyone kind of, I guess, on a Monday morning or coming out of this event, especially the casual fans, looking back at as Adesanya's main event performance, which is the final performance as a pay-per-view ends, looks at him as a winner and someone that is just an elite-level mixed martial artist. And, you know, you compound the fact that, you know, there's an emotional post-fight interview with regards to uh, a friend and, and, and you know, colleague and training partner and Falvarke who, who passed away, who was murdered. You know, he, he paid tribute to him in the walkout with, uh, with, the, with the mask and his kind of uh, facial attire. And then on, on top of that, he, he literally, the, the final thing he said was, you know, Robert Whitaker, hey, we'll, we'll get this fight done, but on my time. So not only did he win, not only has he put this Vittori situation to bed, he's now also set up the fight that everybody is looking forward to, which is the Robert Whitaker rematch. So all in all, I'll call this a home run for Israel Adesanya. Yeah, good good night's work. He kind of checked all the boxes, did everything he needed to do. Looked dominant, got the win, lined up the next fight. All good. And obviously there was that uh, emotional emotional uh, strand to it as well with the Fovake. Uh, his training partner who uh, was attacked in Auckland, New Zealand. I think he was attacked, uh, hit with something from behind and uh, succumbed to his injuries, I think, a day or two after the incident. So, And I think there are legal proceedings still ongoing from that. So uh, uh, fingers crossed that all goes through the processes appropriately and uh, you know everybody at City Kitboxing is able to uh, get the closure that they are you know, clearly in need of after, after a very difficult time. But... Uh, it was a big. It was a big day for City Kickboxing. Just quickly dipping into the prelims, ever so quickly, Sandu. Brad Riddell, one of uh, Adesanya's teammates, was in a featured prelim, and him and Drew Dober served up an absolute cracker at 155 pounds. Unanimous decision. Uh, Riddell got the nod, 29-28s across the board. Um, but um, and again, he also paid tribute. But that was an incredible fight. I, I, were you on? Uh, were you on prelim duty, Sandu, for that one? Because that that was an absolute cracker as well. Yeah, so on just everyone gets a little bit of insight into my shift for BT Sport. It's always everything except the fight pass prelims. So what we call in the business the broadcast prelims, those are the prelims that everyone gets on the TV, BT Sport, you know, ESPN, TSN in Canada, etc. I'm always on, on call for those. And yeah, like you said, Simon, Brad Riddell, absolute banger of a fight against Rudova. Absolutely love that. Yeah, that was absolutely superb. And that really teed up the main card. Um, we had uh, Adesanya versus Vittori in that main event. World title fight at the top of the card. But we had another one in the co-main event. Brandon Moreno looking to dethrone Davison Figueredo. And um, when I wrote my uh, pre-fight tips for uh, Paddy Power, and I, they asked me not so much to predict the fights, but find where the value is. And um, they had a bit of a promotion on uh, for the uh, for the for for that event, they sort of boosted some of the prices, and you could have got four to one on Brandon Moreno just to win the fight, which I thought was wow, yeah, just just to win the fight. So, um, and I said, I said, this is a coin flip fight. If you can get four, odds of four to one on a coin flip, you take it, um, because Moreno, I was pretty convinced was going to come back better, and it was a question of would Figueredo come back better as well. There were warning signs in the week. When you saw the weigh-ins, Moreno was one of the first people to weigh in. I think I think he weighed in like three or four minutes in. I think it, it might even have been you guys that put put the tweet up, Sandu. Actually, that's it was like a split screen thing. 
Moreno weighed in after four minutes. Figures, Davison Figueroa weighed in with 30 seconds to go of the two-hour window. So that gives you an idea that perhaps things were not 100% as they needed to be for the flyweight champ at the time heading into fight night. And on fight night, it was all Brandon Moreno. He looked absolutely superb, looked faster, looked sharper. Everything about him looked better. And um, he eventually got the fight down uh, to the mat. And after a few different attempts, managed to lock up the rear naked choke and get the submission halfway through the third round. Incredible. And it was such a feel-good performance, Sandu. I, he's an infectious personality anyway, like even from the press conference in a week. He's just he's just a happy person. Um, so to see someone like that get a, a you know a, a life changing win is is always great to see. But it was also Figueredo's reaction afterwards as well. Absolute class from the man. You know he, he'd achieved his life's dream of becoming a world champion not all that long ago, and now he's had that dream taken away from him by by a young hungry challenger. And he was all class. It was absolutely brilliant to see. He lifted him up. He was walking him around the cage. Um, gave him all his all his due due props and credit at the end of the fight. And I, I cannot say enough about how impressed I was with Davison Figueredo, because to lose a world title and to get finished is 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 a big deal. Um, and uh, I thought the way he reacted was outstanding. I thought that whole. That whole portion of the event for me was just just one great big feel-good moment. I thought it was great. Yeah, Brandon Moreno. I mean, you'd like to think he's going to be a massive star now, Simon, right? I mean, Dana White said, listen, if you win this fight, you're going to be such a massive star. The, the UFC have never had a Mexican-born, a true Mexican champion in their history. Cain Velasquez, American-Mexican. He was born in Arizona. But to have someone like Brandon Moreno now, born and raised in Tijuana, he trains there, all the rest of it. And even in the aftermath, this was mind-blowing. I don't know if you saw this on social media, Simon. There was artwork, street work, a mural was already put up of that now iconic image of an emotional Brandon Moreno winning and, and raising the belt. The lad that put that up must have started work the minute that fight was over because that was already up. Literally within, I think, 12 hours of the pay-per-view ending. That was, it's a massive piece as well. Incredible. And then there's, there's outstanding scenes of like the team and yeah. I think members of the media and some fans. I think they had a little bit of a watch party at the, at the gym. They're obviously celebrating like crazy. And you know, you know the UFC are going to parade Moreno around now. They're going to do a proper PR job, get him to all the outlets, the, all the, the networks and do radio spots and really kind of allow him the, the opportunity to talk about his journey. And, you know, I mean, the journey is incredible to be the, the lowest seed on tough to, to not, no, his first run in the UFC, not go so well to be cut from the UFC, be cut by the promotion. He fights his way back. Short notice fight against Figueredo fight of the year contender. Many people's eyes. It was the fight of the year. He then cancels Christmas. He's literally spent, he said, what, the last six months in camp training for this rematch. And then not only does he win, he finishes Figueredo, has these emotional scenes. And much like Izzy, uh, Moreno is fighting on a card with Nate Diaz, Simon. So you know there's a lot of eyeballs on this. He was a fan favorite in the arena. The arena is exploding. I mean, that in a nutshell is the absolute best of mixed martial arts. And I, and I have to say this, that is the absolute best of the UFC product. Like, 
they do all the bells and whistles. They provide the platform. They try and tell the stories. They generally have, I'd say, easily 80 to, 85 to 90% of the best fighters in the world on their roster. And when these moments occur with a packed arena on a pay-per-view, you've got Rogan, Anik, in this case, Felder on the broadcast, just all the stars aligned. What an absolute incredible moment. Love that. It was incredible, wasn't it? It was like a little a little perfect storm of what MMA can be like. You know, it was a great fight. Uh, it was someone rising. And also, this was a guy that got cut by the UFC. You know, he came on to uh, the Ultimate Fighter Season of Champions, uh, which I think one was won by Tim Elliott. Um, and he was like the 16th seed out of 16, Brandon Moreno, when he joined. And uh, he eventually got into the UFC, had a few wins, had a few losses, and then got cut. And that was during the time where it looked like the flyweight division was going to was sort of going to be uh, eased out, um, eased out of the door. And uh, Moreno, who looked like a talented fighter who could maybe have have a little bit about him, they got rid of him. It was quite surprising at the time. He went away, worked on worked on his game, came back, and now here he is, UFC undisputed flyweight champion of the world. And uh, yeah, could not be happier for the man. Uh, big big moment on uh, a big fight card. It was a big moment too for Leon Edwards. My goodness me, what what can we say about this fight, Zandu? Because if you were just watching the first four rounds and then you decided, right, you're going to go off and get a drink, this is going to be a unanimous decision for for Rocky. You know, Nate's got nothing for him. He's just, you know, Leon had fought almost a perfect fight for four rounds, or for almost four and a half rounds, maybe nearly five rounds, and then I think with sixty seconds to go. Diaz walks him onto an absolutely huge straight left. And then Edwards' legs decided to do the chicken dance. And he was like, whoa, okay. And then the crowd just went absolutely nuts because everybody loves Nate Diaz. And Diaz went after him and, and tried to land. But I think he spent a little bit too long kind of mocking him and posturing and standing off him. If he'd have gone right after him and just emptied the chamber, he could have got finished possibly because Leon was all over the shop. Uh, for at least 30 seconds of the final 60 um, and he managed to he managed to just about just about recover I think and um, got to the end and the bad thing about it Sandu is it completely takes the shine off what was a brilliant performance from Leon Edwards he fought absolutely superbly he shut down Nate Diaz for four and a bit rounds and really we should be talking about what a brilliant performance that was but now everyone's talking about Nate should have knocked him out. Nate had him, you know. Um, and even Nate turns around and said, if that's in real life, <laughs> you know, it's all over, you know. Um, but, yeah, and, and Dana White has come out and said that Colby Covington is still the number one contender to face Kamara Usman. Kamara Usman's gone on social media and basically said, no one deserves it, <laughs> you know. Um and I think Leon's fired back at him as well and all the rest of it. So it's such a, like, it always seems to be a little caveat or something with Leon, whether it's an unfortunate eye poke or COVID completely scuppering his momentum or, you know, whatever it might be. The man can't buy a clean break, can he? You know, like, it looked like this was it. This was his coming out party. And just as it looked like he, he was cruising to victory, one punch changes everything. Uh, he got the win. But it almost feels like he didn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like you, Simon, when it was a pretty weird exchange because Nate Diaz gave him the Stockton slap 
and then literally within milliseconds comes over with a left hand. And I, and I feel like that's kind of something that they maybe work on is to almost play around with you a little bit, thinking, oh, he's just trying to like get something for the cameras with this kind of stopped and slap. But that essentially was a setup to try and knock you out. And man, I couldn't believe it. Leon is rocked. He is absolutely rocked on his legs. And instead of like going in and swarming him, taking him down or finishing him off with some more strikes, Nate Diaz takes that opportunity with what, maybe 90 seconds left in the fight or whatever, whatever was left in the, in the fifth round, just to point at him and laugh and, and let him recover. And I couldn't believe it. Like putting your kind of patriotic you know, patronage to the side a little bit here, Simon. We are we are the bit Brit pack and we want the Brits to do well. Purely as a fight fan, I just couldn't believe it. I just could not believe he, he didn't go in and, and try and finish the fight because it was it was on a plate. Leon was so rocked in that moment. And uh unfortunately for, for Leon, you know, Le Nate didn't bother really uh trying to finish the fight and he obviously ended up winning the fight on the scorecards. And, and you're right, you know, I think without that moment, Leon comes out perfect, squeaky clean. You've got to win over Nate Diaz, big fight, big moment, massive pay-per-view. But because of that moment and some of the imagery and the videos and the slow motion of that punch, that's everyone's lasting impression of the fight. And then you have Nate Diaz you know, in the post-fight interview and the post-fight press conference talking about why the fight was delayed and that there was a cut in training camp that they had to fix. And that's why the, month, the, the, the fight was delayed by a month and... It's almost as like the, the Diaz way of handling a loss is probably the best way any fighter is going to handle a loss because their stock never goes down. It's like Nate Diaz comes out of this situation this weekend, Simon, with, an, with another loss on his record. But the people still love him. The fans still love him. And, and people will still pay attention and, and want to see him fight. Who knows how many fights he has left on his contract? I don't know what's going to happen for him next i guess you wait to see the outcome of the dustin poirier conor mcgregor fight and then start to kind of get things going behind the scenes but for leon edwards simon this is a situation now where i think and we spoke about it last week what's the fight that sells the most is it kamaru usman versus leon edwards or is it kamaru usman versus colby covington and i think we can all be honest you know especially you and me that look at traffic and we, we kind of see some of the numbers you know, articles and social media does um, for these fighters. It's going to be Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington. Kamaru can say what he wants right now, but ultimately the UFC are going to want to book him for another title defense soon and, and book him for a pay-per-view, most likely in, in Q3 or Q4 at the latest, right? So, and Colby's obviously there. He's coming off a win, and that first fight was fantastic. Everybody would love to see that rematch. You know that there's heat behind that fight. And so if that's what the UFC do, Simon, if that's the road that they go down, I think there's a few things that Leon could do, right? You can sit out and basically wait for your title shot. But, and this is what I said on social media myself on Sunday, there are no guarantees. Things change very, very quickly in this sport. If, if Dana Wyatt has already said to you, yeah, you're, you're going to get the next title shot, you don't know what the outcome of Kamaru versus Colby will be. You don't know if Colby might win. They might do a trilogy. Kamaru could be injured. Colby could be injured. There could be a, a whole new set of variables and circumstances that might mean that you won't get that shot. And you would have wasted, what, six months? Nine months? Just waiting on the sidelines? 
right now, you're coming off an eight Diaz win. And for better or worse, that's a major moment in your career. A lot of eyeballs, a lot of people talking about you. If the if the UFC go ahead with Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington, Simon, I think the fight to make is, and again, if I'm Leon, and again, I, I would not begrudge him if he just chills out now for six months. But if I'm Leon, I want to fight on that card. And I want to fight Jorge Masvidal. Jorge Masvidal, Leon Edwards in a five-round co-main event. The precedent has been set now. The doors have opened for special fights to be five-rounders five when they're not for a title fight or they're not a fight night main event. And I think when you have the four major players in the welterweight division right now, in Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington, Leon Edwards, and Jorge Masvidal as the top two fights on a pay-per-view, having them all together on, on fight week, press conferences, media, or, or everything, the winners and the losers will align nicely after the fact. It sets everything up in a perfect way. And for, for Nate Diaz, it's giving him the opportunity to go back and, and almost you know, finish the story that was started in London with what happened between him and Jorge Masvidal behind the scenes. And on top of that, it means that Jorge Masvidal, like Nate Diaz, brings a lot of eyeballs to that pay-per-view, right? And Kamaru and Colby would already sell well, but you add the BMF champion into the mix... I think that is the perfect recipe for a fantastic pay-per-view one-two combination at the top of the card. What do you think, Simon? Yeah, well, funny enough, I was uh, having that very conversation with a certain Mr. Michael Bisbing last week. Uh, I interviewed him and I said to him, let's let's suppose that Leon wins this fight, uh, but they still keep Colby as the number one contender. What do you do if you're Leon? Uh, how about you offer to fight Jorge Masvidal or how would you react if the UFC offered you Jorge Masvidal on the same card and Bisbing's eyes lit up and was like, yeah, I would absolutely take that fight. If that was me, I would absolutely take that fight. Um, Leon might prefer to sit, but he might also take it. So, um, but given, given the, you know, the past and everything that is a fight that sells on its own. Um, but what it also does is it clears the way for him to challenge for for a, for a title if he wins that fight, um, which was the plan with this fight. But of course, we still always had Colby sitting there in the number one contender spot, and it would have needed if Leon had gone out there and lit up Nate Diaz like a Christmas tree and knocked him out in two rounds. I think we might be talking about a potential title fight between Leon Edwards and uh, Kamara Usman right now, but we didn't. So now it goes back to what makes dollars make sense. And uh, the thing that's going to make the most dollars is, is the Colby rematch. There's, there's absolutely no, no doubt about it. So yeah, I think the Masvidal, I think this is the time for the Masvidal fight. And to be honest, if you're Masvidal, I think this is a great matchup for you as well, because he, he's kind of had his run at challenging for the belt. He's a back-to-back -back title defense, uh, sorry, back-to-back -back title shots. Where does he go from here? What fight it makes the most sense for him to step into a fight with a backstory, a fight that people will be interested in watching. I've always thought Masvidal versus McGregor would be a great fight. And maybe we'll see that at some point. But the fight that seems like the most obvious one to make at 170 pounds right now is Masvidal versus Leon Edwards. Get it booked. And yes, put it on the same card. Absolutely. I think that is, that is absolutely the thing to do. Absolutely the thing to do. Um, and speaking of 170 pounds, Sandu, we saw... We saw uh, the, the last man 
to face Leon. It was uh, Bilal Mohamed. He bounced back after that no contest in the eye poke. He looked pretty good, actually. He did, did a decent job against Damian Meyer, who, from what Dana White said after the fight, that was his last fight in the UFC. Um, now, Damian Meyer did not, from, from what I saw, put the gloves down or do any grand retirement gesture. So who knows? Maybe he's going to go fight somewhere else. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that was his last fight in the UFC and an absolute top, top class individual and someone who's been in and around the top of the sport for the best part of a decade. So uh, we wish him well with uh, with whatever happens next. Absolutely, Simon. You know, it's unfortunate that there wasn't, a lot, you know, perhaps more built up with this being Damian Meyer's last fight. It would have been nice if this could have been maybe a, a fight night, man, a main event, co-main event, where it's got perhaps a little bit more of a spotlight on it or something. But when you've got guys like Adesanya and Nate Diaz and uh, title fights on a pay-per-view main card, it's going to be tough, you know, for the media and any, anybody else to put that spotlight on the fact that this is your, your final fight in the UFC. Credit to Bilal Mohamed, though, because, and, I, and forgive me, because I don't know where I read this on Twitter. I did see this on Twitter, and I did verify it after the fact, but Bilal Mohamed has become the first fighter to defeat Damian Meyer on his resume that hasn't either been a UFC champion or fought for a UFC championship. So that just tells you, you know, the level of where Bilal Muhammad is, but perhaps at the same time, it also tells you where Damian Meyer is at his age. Um, obviously he's well past his prime at this stage. And, and I wish him all the best like itself, Simon. We, we, we wish him all the best. And if he's going to continue to fight, then God bless him. I know, um, that he's dabbled in some stuff with regards to working with media outlets. And I think long-term, he has aspirations to get into journalism or broadcast media. And for that Brazil market, you could not have someone that could speak more eloquently, uh, both in English and in Portuguese, uh, than Damian Maia. So I wish him all the very best in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I would echo that as well. Um, and uh, I, think he's, I think he's done some of the Portuguese... Uh, language broadcast for the UFC. I think he's been on commentary for them once or twice. So um, maybe we'll see see him doing a Paul Felder, doing a, a Michael Bisbing and stepping into that sort of role. But the main card, Sandu, kicked off with a light heavyweight fight between two guys looking to move their way up the 205-pound division. You had Paul Craig, submission specialist, uh, on a winning streak, 100% finish rate. Every time he wins a fight, he wins it inside the distance against Jamal Hill, undefeated, up-and-coming fighter. A lot of people getting very excited about him and what his ceiling might be as a UFC light heavyweight contender. And boy, oh boy, did we get did we get something unexpected. It wasn't the fact that Paul Craig won. That wasn't unexpected. I think, uh, I think well, I, I, I had Paul Craig picked for this fight, um, but it was, it was kind of a 50-50, you know. It, it could have gone either way. But the fact that Craig dragged it to the mat and got a submission should be of no surprise to anybody who watches watches the UFC because that's what he does. But my goodness me, have we seen a more graphic uh, submission situation in the middle of a fight where it looked like he broke Jamal Hill's arm. Turns out he didn't. Turns out he merely, and I put merely in quotation marks, dislocated him at the elbow. So basically, he had all the bones in the arm were absolutely fine, but the elbow joint, you know, was just going all over the place. And uh, 
The referee, who goes by the name of Al Guiney, who I've seen maybe twice before um, in all my years watching UFC shows. I don't think he's appeared that often. Um, he just sort of stood there and let it all happen. You know, like, it got to the point where Craig could no longer do an armbar on Jamal Hill because his arm was just flapping about. He described it as being like a wet fish dancing all over his body. Um, so in the end, he just sort of trapped uh, Hill's head and just hammered him with elbows until the referee just finally decided that it might be a good idea to stop the fight. But bloody hell, Sandy. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was absolutely nuts. That was absolutely nuts. Gruesome, graphic, but I'll tell you what, Simon. Biggest win, biggest win, in my opinion, of Paul Craig's career. And that's saying something because Paul Craig has wins over former champion Mauricio Shogun Hua. Why was this the biggest win of Paul Craig's career, in my opinion? It goes back to the fact that he was part of a pay-per-view main card, right? A big one at that. He opened the pay-per-view main card. His fight did. He's coming on a nice little win streak right now. He's He hasn't taken a loss since June of 2019 against uh, Alonzo Manifeld. And I remember a few years ago, Paul Craig talked about how he had kind of stopped becoming a teacher or kind of quit that line of work to go full-time into MMA. And I feel like now that he's put in a good few years of full-time training in mixed martial arts, you're seeing the fruits of his labor. But I think a lot of people were so high on Jamal Hill that they thought this is going to be and I saw this online, Simon. I saw it on Twitter from a lot of respected members of the media. They thought this was a layup for Jamal Hill. They thought this was going to be a showcase fight for Jamal Hill. In comes Scotland's Paul Craig. Doesn't just beat him. Submits him. Is a technical submission. Uh, call it what you want. He, you know, I think after the fact, uh, Dana White said that the, 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 the arm wasn't actually broken. It was dislocated. But in the moment, it was so gruesome. It was so graphic. And Paul Craig now, who was, I think, ranked you know, number 14, he's got to be a top 10 guy now, Simon, after that performance, in my opinion. He's got to be well in the top 10. And this is the best thing about Paul Craig on a run and getting a finish like that on a big event like UFC 263. Light heavyweight is a shallow division. It's a shallow division. Paul Craig can very, very easily shimmy his way up the top 10 now and maybe just a couple of wins and maybe you're looking at him fighting for the title and again you can you can only look at you know your last performance you know and his last performance he gave someone that was a hot prospect in jamal hill his first loss and he finished him nothing but praise for paul craig and i feel like you know if there's going to be a london card or a card in the uk later on this year we spoke about this last week you've got to give him a marquee fight maybe a co-main event or something like that big up to paul craig yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, like he's one. I think because he's such a jiu-jitsu specialist, and the way that he drags people to the mat, he's always tends to be the guy on the bottom. Um, I don't know. People just seem to sleep on that and just think that ah, oh, you know, he's kind of hanging on. He's not hanging on. He's doing exactly what he wants to do. You know, and you know, it's I, I understand the whole a good striker gets the first crack at a good grappler because. The fight starts in the striker's realm, doesn't it? It starts in the stand-up, but but yeah, I mean, I, I I thought that was a I thought that was a fifty-fifty fight. I really did, and I just thought that Craig's ability to close the distance and smother his opponent against the cage, and then just get he doesn't have to 
like normally with a jiu-jitsu guy when when they're getting a takedown they need to get a takedown into a, a certain position craig just doesn't care he just wants you on the floor and then he works it out from there um and uh that's kind of how that works and you know, it, it looked like he was attacking the right arm and then he kind of pulled the switch on him and then went for the left arm and then we all know what happened after that. But uh, yeah, huge performance, huge performance from from uh, from the Bear Jew, the big Scott, Paul Craig. Um, very quickly, we'll just very quickly run through the the prelim card results. Brad Riddell and Drew Dober we talked about earlier. That was a unanimous decision from Brad Riddell. Britain's Darren Stewart ended up on... The end of a unanimous decision defeat to Eric Anders. That was a rematch, if you remember, of the fight where Anders had hit Stewart with an illegal knee. Um, and it was ruled accidental, which was just ludicrous. Um, but they booked the rematch. And um, Stewart just didn't, didn't seem to be quite, quite at the races. And Anders did enough to win that fight. Laura Murphy beat Joanne Calderwood. So the Brits on the prelims, it wasn't such a happy time. With Brits on the main card getting wins. Brits on the prelims, uh, ending up on the wrong end of the judges' decision. Laura Murphy won that by split decision. Um, how did you score that one, Sandu? I can't actually say, Simon, because sometimes I'm able to pay attention to the fights really, really well. Uh, and sometimes I'm just in the middle of doing stuff for, for BT Sport behind the scenes on social media. So I can't you know, give an intelligent answer because I haven't really paid attention to the full 15 minutes of the fight. But from what I saw online, it was a very controversial decision. A lot of people thought that Joanne Caldwood won that fight. And, and again, maybe perhaps I'm looking at the BT Sport UFC uh, Twitter feed, which is predominantly going to be British followers. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know. And, and the fact that it was a close decision, from what I saw, it was a close fight. Put it that way. How did you score it? I gave it 29-28 to Calderwood, but it was really close. I mean, like the first round right. was a super close round. And for me, that was the... That was really the one that, that the fight hinged on because Murphy had a really big uh, had a really big second round. Uh, Calderwood had a good third round, and uh, I just thought that it was all down to that first round. And I just thought that Calderwood landed the better work. Um, Murphy had had the pressure, but I thought that Calderwood landed the better work. And uh, yeah, it ended up twenty nine twenty eight, and it was a split decision. Uh, I think it's. It's, it's hard to get upset by a split decision when the fight is that close. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame for Joe, uh, uh, Joanne, because it's another instance of her being right there, you know, one win away from a potential title fight and falling at the final hurdle. It's reminiscent, uh, reminiscent of when Michael Bisbing was chasing a title fight for all those years and just getting there and then not quite making it. And then eventually, you know, he got there in the end. Uh, maybe we'll yeah. see that from Joanne Calderwood. But um, yeah, unfortunate for her. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it in the robbery category. That's for sure. Um, and the only and, and the other fight on on the prelims, which was a good fight, Movsar Ivluev against Hakim Dawadu. Ivluev is going to be a problem at 145 pounds. Uh, he maybe doesn't knock people out uh, as frequently as people might like, but technically he's top draw, and uh, he got a unanimous decision win over Mean Hakim. Uh, over the uh, the three round featherweight prelim opener, uh, we had five fights on the early prelims, but really it was about that televised main uh, televised prelim card and then the main card, and it was superb event, one of the better ones we've had so far this year, Sandu. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Again, unfortunate that the Brits and Darren Stewart and Joanne Caldwood, you know, couldn't get it done, but Paul Craig came through, uh, and you know, I give credit to Paul Craig not, not only for the fact that he opened the card, but even just the, 
the fight week. He, he was good value. All, obviously, always gives a great face-off with his, his war paint. Um, and Joanne Caldwell, man, maybe like Michael Bisping, Simon, like you said, right? Always a bridesmaid, never the bride. Uh, hopefully, she can come back. But she's now alternating wins and losses going back a good few years. So I think the biggest thing for her is she needs consistency. Um, and that's the one thing I will say Laura Murphy has had. You know, five wins in a row in a division that is looking for contenders for Valentina Shevchenko, someone that Laura Murphy has yet to fight. So that's a fresh matchup. And, uh, and you know, when you have a dominant champion like someone like Shevchenko, you've got to keep the conveyor belt going. You've got to keep teeing up contenders. And I think Laura Murphy right now ticks all the boxes. I don't know what, how you wouldn't make that fight next because of her win streak uh, and the fact that she hasn't fought Valentina before. So, yeah, lots of good things from the prelims. And again, I didn't watch it because I wasn't on shift and I'm usually doing my prep work and bits and pieces. But I did see the social clip. And man, Jorge Masvidal must have been sweating, Simon. Because on the Fight Pass prelims, yeah, Terence McKinney knock out Matt Frivola in seven seconds. Did you watch that, by the way? I didn't. I set my alarm. Uh, Saturday was my daughter's fourth birthday, and I was out in the sun all day and was an absolute wreck. Um, I was staying over at my parents as well. So we literally, it took until about half past 11 before I got my 10 year old to bed. So I managed to get her to sleep. And then I thought I need to get some sleep because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make it because I was up the previous night for Bellator as well, um, so I ended up going to bed and waking. I set my alarm for one a.m. and got up in time for the start of the uh, the televised prelim. So I didn't see it live. I've seen it since, but I didn't see it live. And uh, yeah, it's another one of those blinking you'll miss it uh, fights. And uh, it's you know what a way to introduce yourself to the UFC. That was his debut as well. And you know coming in and. It's all well and good doing doing something incredible when you're already in the UFC, but as your first introduction, like this is the first time anyone sets eyes on you as a UFC athlete, and you go and do something like that. Well, you know, mad props to him, and uh, I think tied. I think it's tied with two or three other fights for the second fastest knockout in UFC history. Obviously, Masvidal's flying knee over uh, Ben Askren, still taking the cake for that one, but. Um, yeah, crazy, crazy. As I say, you know, it was an event that had a little bit of something for everybody. Fancy a gruesome injury? We got that for you. <laughs> One of the fastest knockouts ever? We got that for you. Fancy a couple of title fights, including a title change and a real feel-good moment? We got that for you. Fancy Nate Diaz doing Nate Diaz things? We got that for you as well. You know, everything you could possibly ask for, you got it on Saturday night at UFC 263. And that rounded off what was a pretty manic weekend of combat sport i just alluded to it just then i was up for bellator but before bellator i was also up this is why i'm such a wreck i forgot all about the fact i was up on thursday as well i was up on thursday night watching pfl4 um where we had uh, clarissa shields two-time olympic boxing champion uh, multiple uh multiple time professional uh women's boxing champion making her mma debut she got the win um was it a clinic no was it a baptism of fire yep she she went through the mill a little bit against Brittany elkin who had she been a little bit a bit more seasoned on the ground would definitely have won that fight she was absolutely dominating clarissa on the mat through the first two rounds and then it was like a little switch flipped in inside clarissa in round three she's like i'm not letting this happen to me again 
And then she managed to start stuffing the takedowns and uh, she ended up on top and just started landing these heavy ground strikes. And she got the win. TKO victory. Are we looking at the next MMA women's lightweight champion? No, not at this stage. But what we're looking at is the start of a story, a start of a journey. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. I mean, I, I had the chance to... I had the chance to chat to her. The UFC brought her backstage at UFC 245, was it? I think it was UFC 245 last December. And uh, she came and did a, a media scrum with everybody. And she had everybody just eating out of the palm of her hand. She's just just so good at it. And uh, and But she she's taking it seriously. And as a boxer moving across to MMA, you don't see that very often. Because boxers tend to get paid more. Like, like you know, like the, the really top draw world championship boxers. But in women's boxing, you don't. You're better off in MMA. So Clarissa's jumped in the other direction. All credit to her, and uh, she got a good win on her debut. Sandy, did you get to see any of that or any of the reaction to it afterwards? Yeah, no, I saw the I saw the entire main card there, Simon. And you know, got to give credit to Clarissa Shields. I mean, she weathered the storm. You know, if anything, this is almost like the the perfect scenario for everyone involved because. You had a captivating fight on the broadcast for for PFL and, and and ESPN and their broadcast partners, where everyone's like, "Oh no, you know the, the all the hype is the bubble going to burst right now?" In her very first fight, she's losing these first two rounds. Um, she obviously ha- you know has a lot of work to do with, with with regards to her ground game. It's a comeback from behind performance. She finishes the fight in the third round. Again, that's your lasting memory of that fight and of that card because that was the main event. She wins. She can go away now with a world-class team in Jackson Wink and actually look at 10 minutes of her performance in those first two rounds and dissect it and see where she went wrong and what she can do to improve because you can do that in the gym all day long. But in reality, when it's you know, in a real situation, in a, in a proper fight, that's when you can really see, you know, are you making the changes and are you leveling up and are you improving as a fighter? So I think all round is a, is a, is a great situation. But I have to say, I think moving forward, PFL, and if I'm them and if I'm the matchmakers, I'm trying to get the next couple of Clarissa Shields fights with opponents that have little to no ground game. You've got to start to put her in some showcase fights. You know, I hate on Jake Paul all you, all you want, but he's only had three or four boxing fights. Look at what some other boxers do in their first half a dozen fights. So you've got to take that approach with Clarissa Shields. Give her all the time in the world to round out her game. Uh, but in the meantime... Set her up with some fights that are very much in her favor that can showcase her strongest skill set, which is going to be her striking. Because when the fight was, you know, on their feet, when they were standing, you could tell she was cracking Elkin, you know, with some great combos. So, yeah, I love that. Good for Clarissa Shields. It's good for the sport. Like you mentioned, Simon, money is not available. You know, the big money is just not available in women's boxing. But if you can break through in mixed martial arts, we've seen it time and time again, from Ronda Rousey to Misha Tate to a bunch of others, you can make some big money in this sport. Yeah, I think like the biggest fight you could potentially make in women's boxing is Caressa Shields versus Katie Taylor. But they're too far apart in terms of weight class. I think they're two or three weight classes apart. And I think the pair of them have even spoken to each other and said, yeah, you know, this isn't quite going to happen. And, uh, you know, it means that they get to do their own thing and all the rest of it. But, yeah, Clarissa, I think, has voiced on many occasions her frustrations with boxing and the fact that they don't get the same opportunities to shine that, that the men do. Um, 
But uh, stepping over to the PFL, she's getting plenty of attention and she gets gets herself a win. So kudos to her. Uh, Cassius Clay Collard is uh, someone who also does a bit of boxing. He mixes things up, MMA and boxing. He's now at the top of the lightweight standings. He got himself another win um, after beating Anthony Showtime Pettis in his first fight. He's beaten Jordan Lutterback in his second fight. Uh, so he's now at the top of the standings. Uh, but the other person we need to talk about is Brendan Lochname. Brendan, repping rep the UK, repping Manchester, um, picked up a, a maximum points haul on his first appearance in the PFL featherweight season uh, with a first-round knockout of Shaman Marais. They gave him Tyler Diamond, a really tough, gritty wrestler who was formerly on The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, never been knocked out. And... Uh, we can see why after after that performance because Brendan Lochnane hit him with everything and Tyler Diamond just kept on moving forward and it turned it into a brilliant fight. It was an absolutely superb fight. From what I thought of the fight, I didn't think there was any doubt over the outcome. I thought that Brendan was clearly the better fighter. He landed the more damaging strikes, but you've got to hold your hand up and say, Tyler Diamond, what a, what a tough, tough individual that man is. Um, and he's going to be a problem for anybody he faces because he just isn't going to go away. Um, and Brendan got the win, 30-27, 29-27, and then one judge scored it 28-28. Um, but it was it was it was a great great performance. And now we have a Brit in the semi-finals. That is guaranteed. He is two wins away from a million dollars and the PFL featherweight title. And do you know what? Right now, he's the favourite as well. Bubba Jenkins is probably the other big favourite. He got another win, but he's, he's getting his wins done on the scorecards. Um, you look at Lance Palmer. He got beat in the first fight. Um, he's going to have to come back and fight another day because his scheduled fight couldn't happen. So it's not it's not looking good for the competition. I think Brendan is looking outstanding, and you know he's in he's in great shape to potentially get to the final. And then when you're in the final. All bets are off. You know, he could be walking away with a belt and a cool million dollars. And that wouldn't that be the perfect the perfect answer to uh, to Dana White in the UFC for passing on him after the uh, Contender Series, turning around and saying, I've just run the gauntlet and won a million. You know, that would be perfect. And don't think that for a minute that that isn't in his mind, because believe me, it is. Um, so, uh, yeah, great performance by him. Mate, I am absolutely over the moon chuffed for Brendan Lochnane. I've made no secret about this, Simon, on social media or on this show in the past. I got a chance to work with him when he first made his debut for the PFL. And I got to work with him behind the scenes for his first two fights, actually, um, in the PFL. And I was actually looking forward to working with him uh, moving forward long term. And obviously, our paths separated at that stage. But he is such a great guy. I can't say that enough. He's such a solid geezer behind the scenes. And to see him go on and do this, and he's winning. And... I know everyone's always talking about, well, uh, Michael Bisping's been the only champion in the UFC. Who's going to be the next UFC champion? Is it going to be Leon Edwards? Is it going to be Darren Till? Is there someone else we should be keeping an eye on, et cetera, et cetera? Let's forget about being a, a Brit and a champion in the UFC for a second. Brits becoming champions in MMA, period, is a, a very rare thing, right? Outside of a regional promotion like Cage Warriors, which is there designed specifically to build up UK and Irish and some European talent. Brendan Lochnane is in one of the major promotions, right? So you think about major promotions globally, you think about UFC, Ryzen, Bellator, PFL, and one championship, right? 
if Brendan can go on and you know win in a semi-final bout and go on to fight for the PFL championship and obviously the million dollars, I really hope Simon that gets the treatment it deserves from all the media because that would be a hell of an accomplishment for Brendan, but also for British mixed martial arts. Um, like you said, Simon, in, in an incredible fight over the weekend against Tyler Diamond, in my opinion, I think that's got to be in the running or at least in the top five um, for when you start to put your contender list together or fight of the year, that's got to be in the mix, in my opinion, for a three-round fight. I thought it was phenomenal. And just to see Brendan handle the win in the aftermath, talk about in his post-fight interview with Sean O'Connell how he needed this. You know, it's great to get the, the the knockouts, but the work that he's put behind the scenes, and also just to 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 test his intestinal fortitude, his mental fortitude, to see if he had the the guts and the grit and 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 the attitude to weather the storm and get through a a, a fight like that, a, pr a proper firefight. You know, he's probably coming out of this thinking, you know what, I know I've got what it takes. He he said that he was thinking about giving up at some stage, which is remarkable to think. But he was so open and brutally honest in his post by interview, which I just think endeared even more people to him. But the bottom line is, Simon, he's in the semifinal. We're going to be able to cover his next fight and hopefully it gets a spotlight on it. Man, the lad is just two fights and two wins away from a million dollars and a championship belt. And if that happens, and if he goes throughout the rest of the year winning these next two fights, I believe he would have been 6-0 and in his run post not getting a contract by the UFC from the Contender Series. So um, all the credit in the world to Brendan Lochnin. We're here to support him. We're here to cover him. And I can't wait to see if he can pull it off this year. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's a great interview. He's very open and honest in, in the way he talks. But at the end of the day... The... The lad can fight, you know, and it doesn't matter where the fight goes. If you're a wrestler, he'll take you on in wrestling. If you're a striker, he'll take you on in striking. You know, you want to mix it up, he'll mix it up. He can do a little bit of everything. And he's, uh, I remember when he was a, a real youngster on the, on the Ultimate Fighter, years and years and years and years ago. And now here he is um, as one of the best featherweight fighters outside of the UFC. Um and I think this is this is all of the uh, all the validation that he deserves and needs. And uh, I think he goes and runs the table in this thing. The best thing about this is if he goes and wins this, this is the most meritocratic organization in MMA, right? This isn't you haven't got to earn your title shot through campaigning or through calling people out or through having beef with someone to get you into the right fights. This is you just got to beat the people in front of you and you beat enough of them. You're the champion. That's how that works. You don't choose your opponents. You don't even get to call anybody out because your opponents are who you get. And then you just go beat them. And that's, that's how that's going to be. It's a league system. Then it's a knockout system. And last man standing is the champ. And that's where we are. You know, I think it's going to go. I think it's gone really well for him so far. And I think that he should be, you know, if he keeps his, he, he keeps his form together, I don't see any reason why he can't get to the final and I don't see any reason why he can't walk away with that million dollars and the championship belt and then after that who knows where he might end up you know he could come back and try again he could go to Bellator he could go to maybe even go to the UFC who knows so all all things are possible for uh, for Brendan Brendan Lochnane and he's uh, you know he was very frustrated at missing out on, on uh, fighting last year and he's taking it out on his opponents this year so uh, great, great, great to see on Thursday night. Uh, so we have Thursday night, 
We talked about Saturday night. We also had Bellator on Friday night, and you mentioned it at the top of the show. We have a new champion at 170 pounds, Yaroslav Amosov, undefeated Ukrainian, the first ever major Ukrainian world champion in mixed martial arts. Unanimous decision over Douglas Lima, 50-45, 49-46, 49-46. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know where that 49-46 came from because I thought Amoslav won, sorry, Yaroslav Amosov won every single round of that fight. Uh, I thought he was absolutely outstanding. He's 26-0. and 0. He has the best undefeated record of anybody in the major uh, MMA promotions. And he looks really, really good. But you mentioned it, Sandu. Lima didn't look 100%. He didn't look like when he needed to step on the gas and really put the pressure on and start letting his hands go in rounds three, four, five, when he was clearly losing. I don't know what it was. He just didn't have it. It just wasn't there. It wasn't there for him. And it was kind of alarming because we're so used to seeing Lima in these all-action bouts. Didn't go that way for him. And Michael Venom Page, was working the desk with Bellator on the night. He commented on it as well. Um, he thought it was strange. So, um, you know, and potentially it could be Yaroslav Amosov versus Michael Venom Page in his next fight. So um, it would be very interesting to see how MVP will deal with someone like Amosov. Uh, and how Amosov will deal with someone as unorthodox and tricky and elusive as MVP. Um, but I think I think it's a winnable fight for MVP, I'll be honest with you. Um, yeah. But to see Douglas Lima not, not find that extra gear when we're used to seeing him find it so often was a little bit weird. You know what's remarkable, Simon, is over the course of like the last year, Douglas Lima went up to try and become a two-weight champion. He fought Gegard Mousasi for the middleweight championship and lost. He comes back down to welterweight to defend his championship, and he loses his belt. So from the cusp of almost becoming a double champ to having no championship belts, unbelievable. I didn't see the fight, but I was kind of following along on, on social media. Simon, Yaroslav Amosov, he's 27 years old, and he's now 26 26 and 0 and a Bellator welterweight champion. That is incredible. And he's been fighting for Bellator for a while. He's got about seven or eight fights under the Bellator banner. And like you mentioned, Michael Venom Page was there on the broadcast doing commentary. I think everybody was thinking, okay, you have Lima most likely defend his belt. And then you've got Michael Venom Page there and you can set up a rematch between the two guys. Michael Van Page is a draw for Bellator, right? And especially in that welterweight division. I don't think many people even knew who Amosov was before this this contest and this fight, to be honest with you, uh, outside of the hardest of the hardcore bubble. The fact that he's beat Lima is like, oh, hang on a second. This guy's pretty good. Oh, and he's got an incredible record and he hasn't ever lost. <laughs> and he's like got this perfect clean record and he's, he's only 27 years old. Incredible stuff. And for Michael Van Page, you know, he's been active. He's been consistent since losing to Douglas Lima. He's been winning. His goal is to be a champion in Bellator. So I think Lima's lost that opportunity to even run it back with Michael Van Page. I think MVP is going to sidestep that whole situation and be like, yo, Amosov isn't a household name. I'm going to, Michael Van Page is technically the A side in that situation because he's a draw. People are interested when he fights, even if you don't watch Bellator regularly or consistently. When Michael Van Page fights, you're going to tune in. That's just the bottom line here. 
So it's incredible to see Lima lose these two fights because not too long ago, I thought, wow, you know, this is one of the best welterweights in the world. And, and I don't know what's happened over the course of the last year, maybe going up in weight and, and has messed, messed him up a little bit, maybe cutting to 170 pounds, you know, you know, isn't that easy and it affected his performance? I have no idea. We'll have to wait and see, um, you know, him talk about it and, and discuss you know, why things went wrong. But right now, Simon, again, talking about champions in MMA and not in the UFC, Michael Brennan Page could be on the cusp of fighting for a Bellator welterweight championship. And you've given the fact that they've got this broadcast deal with BBC in the UK, BBC iPlayer, and all the, uh, the extra coverage that they're getting in the UK right now. How do you not make that fight is the question. Yeah, I mean, it's, that is the obvious one to make. That is the obvious one to make. And you mentioned Amosov. He's, he's got some fights in Bellator. He's had some good, victi- uh, some good names on his record. Gerald Harris. Gerald Hurricane Harris has been around for a long, long time. Been in the UFC, been in Bellator, done a lot. He was on tough. He beat him. Eric Silva, Brazilian veteran, been around forever. Dangerous fighter, beat him. David Rickles, Bellator veteran, been around for ages, beat him. Ed Ruth, collegiate wrestling phenom, out-wrestled him. Mark Leminger, rising rising prospect, beat him. Logan Story, uh, sorry, Logan Storley, another NCAA All-American wrestler. That went to a split decision. That was a really good back-and-forth match. Uh, if Storley wins a couple, expect him to be a contender. And then he goes and beats Douglas Lima to win the belt. So it's not like he's been fighting nobodies since he joined Bellator. Obviously, prior to that, it gets a little bit tricky. You don't, you know, there's a lot of names there, but none none really that leap off the pages. Oh, no, I know that guy. So it's mostly the names you're looking at in Bellator, but they are all credible, credible names, people that you don't just go out there and beat. And he's gone out there and beaten all of them. So all due respect to him, uh, Ukrainian champion, first major MMA champion for the Ukraine, 26-0. and and it looks as though MVP will get the next crack. So uh, looking forward to seeing that one. So yeah, it was a busy weekend, Sandu. We PFL on Thursday, Bellator on Friday, UFC on Saturday, England beating Croatia on Sunday, and then I got some sleep, right? That's basically how my weekend <laughs> worked. Um, and uh, thankfully this week, other than the Euros, which are ongoing, um, it the pace drops off a little bit, but we do have a UFC card this weekend. And we've got an absolute banger of a main event. It's a featherweight bout. Chan Sung Jung, better known, of course, as the Korean Zombie, taking on Dan Ige, who is perennially just underrated, but always seems to deliver the goods when it comes to fight night. We've got Alexei Olenek versus Sergei Spivak. Tim Means against Danny Roberts. What a matchup that is. At World's Away, our very own Danny Roberts. Hot chocolate taking on the Dirty Bird at 170 pounds. That will be fantastic. Davy Grant taking on Marlon Vera. Matt Brown versus Diego Lima, Douglas Lima's uh, brother. There's all sorts going on on this card. This is going to be a fun one, Sandu, back at the Apex. Yeah, and speaking of the Apex, I think I read some reports that it looks like for the remainder of the year, that's where the UFC are going to be holding their fight night events. Until other markets open up, there might be a fight night card in the UK. Fingers crossed London. That would be nice. But for the foreseeable future, it's going to be in the apex. And I think they're going to try and um, have their major monthly pay-per-views take place in arenas that they can pack out and sell out, et cetera, et cetera. So it's business as usual. Back at the apex this week. Uh, it's a fight night card. And like you said, Simon, banger of a main event there. I mean, Danny Gay and Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie, they don't 
They don't get involved in boring fights. They don't. And I think this is a great step up for Danny Ige. You talked about him perhaps being a little bit underrated. He's ranked number eight right now. The Korean Zombie is ranked number four. So a win for Danny Ige right now. And I think that cracks him into the top five. And for, for the Korean Zombie, he's coming off a loss to Brian Ortega, who's fighting for the damn title next, right? So not bad company there, even if you are coming off a loss. And I think for him, a win over Danny Ige just solidifies his position as, as, a, as a top five guy uh, and someone who's always going to be there or thereabouts. Um, you know, you know, almost, you know, just maybe a win away uh, from once again fighting for the title. So, yeah, looking forward to that. And like you said, Simon, the Brits are there. Danny Roberts, Davey Grant, really hoping that they can do the business this weekend. And, man, the the, pay, the, the fight night uh, uh, main card is starting out with a Matt Brown fight. For God's sakes, the immortal Matt Brown is back taking on Diego Lima. So, yeah, so this has got uh, all the potential to deliver some serious fireworks. I can't wait, man. It's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. It is gonna be a lot of fun. And uh, David Grant beats Marlon Vera. He'll have a number next to his name on Monday morning. You know that's how big that fight is for David Grant. Danny Roberts beats Tim Means. Who's gonna be fighting someone with a number but uh, next to his name probably next time out as well. These are big, meaningful fights for the two Brits who have been have been putting the putting the work in over the years and maybe haven't quite had the uh, haven't quite had the breaks at times. But when they're on their game, they are two of the most uh, exciting fighters to watch. Danny Roberts, just he's got this he's got this brilliant penchant for just not just knocking people out, but spinning them around as he does it. I don't know. How, he should walk out to Dead or Alive, spin me around like a record. You know, you spin me around. Anyway, I'm not going to sing anymore. <laughs> but um, he should walk out to that because like he did it. He did it to Oliver Enkamp, and he did it to someone else whose name escapes me. But back to back fights, pretty much. So. Uh, but he's he's superb. Davy Grant got a huge knockout last time out as well. One of the nicest men in the game, and uh, yeah, really looking forward to seeing them. And uh, yeah, Korean Zombie versus Danny Gate is going to deliver no problem whatsoever. That is Saturday night at the UFC Apex. I would expect that to be normal normal times for uh, for us Brits. So uh, I think I think that's one worth staying up for, or one waking up one worth waking up for for sure. So uh, yeah, make sure. You get your fill of MMA action this weekend. And we will, of course, unpack all of it on next week's show. But Sandu, I think we said we'd try and get it into an hour. I think we pretty much did it. Mate, the last 60 minutes flew by. We had so much to talk about and discuss my word. Um, but yeah, that is that is all for this week. Um, the BritPackMMA.com. That is the BritPackMMA.com. That's where you guys can go. Uh, to follow us on social media, both personally and the, the show account is available there. We're available on Spotify and Apple. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor, give us a rate and a review. It basically helps us get found on the Apple Podcast platform. That's how uh, that the algorithm works over there. The more rates and reviews you can get, the better, right? And finally, YouTube. Um, we're available on YouTube right now. It's an audio-only show. And at some point this year, <laughs> hopefully sooner rather than later, this show will go to video and it will be something that we're going to be pushing specifically on YouTube. But for the time being, if you enjoy listening to your podcasts on YouTube, whether it's from your phone or just on the background on our web browser, we're available there. So go to uh, the Britpack YouTube channel and subscribe and you can watch the show and check us out there as well great stuff that is everything you need to know and that is everything uh, that we had to tell you this week lots to go through so much to unpack 
and uh, another exciting fight night coming down the line this weekend. Enjoy the fights as always, and we'll speak to you again in a week's time. Yeah.